the Kinnerance Podcast, Volume 5, Issue 240, D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die. You can play along with Kinnerance, Volume 5, our upcoming shows. We have the Tony Hawk's Pro Skater Core Series. That is uh, mainly focusing on Pro Skaters 1 through 5, although we'll be, I'm sure, dabbling a little bit in the undergrounds and some of the other various uh, uh, main Tony Hawk games. Following that, and following you, Alien Isolation... Uh, and then after that, we have Broken Sword, Shadow of the Templars, and The Legend of Zelda, Twilight Princess, to continue our Zelda series, followed by another, another scary game, Amnesia the Dark Descent. That probably puts us about in time for Halloween. Is that how it lines yeah. up? Yeah. Look at you guys. <laughs> you can head to canterments.com for a full schedule, the blog, and links to our merchandise stall, Facebook, Google+, and YouTube, where we have all kinds of fun features posted up there all the time. Our, uh, yeah, our YouTube is um, starting to pick up in uh, the amount of content that we're putting up there, so if you haven't given it a look, then please do. There's some fun stuff. I'm sure you'll like it. Uh, we also have a sister podcast, Sound to Play, where we talk all about video game music. We play at least nine requests on every show. We have a couple of two-hour specials with somewhere around, you know, 24 to 26 tracks each. Um, so, you know, seek those out if you want Sounds of Play 50 and 60 for our The Legend of Zelda and Donkey Kong Country specials. Otherwise, uh, join us every week for nine rousing tracks of video game music. Always excellent. Uh, please do subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. That helps us out quite a bit. Um, helps get us in more people's ears uh, we do have a patreon if you would like to financially support the show joining me ryan Heyman, is james carter this is avant-garde <laughs> uh, so, almost maybe uh <laughs> tony atkins no this is avant-garde baby <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> and sean o'brien hi <laughs> none of us are d names and so we all clear the list on this one we're not, uh, we're not suspecting any of us are any of our code names uh do, do any of our code names again d my first you name know, is actually, daniel sean <laughs> <laughs> yeah my middle name begins uh, with d as well we're all d go. names damn it uh-oh <laughs> Okay, well, I'll be keeping my eye on you too. But yes, we are here to talk about D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die, an Xbox One and PC curio by Swery65, a real name Hidetaka Suihiro, who is an interesting figure, to say the least. To give a bit of history on him, he uh, was a, a scenario planner for The Last Blade and The Last Blade 2 for the Neo Geo back in 97 and 98. He was the lead designer on Tomba 2 for the PlayStation, a writer and planner on Extermination for PS2. Uh, and then at that point, he founded Access Games in 2002, which is not to be confused with Access Software, who does the uh, Top Spin and Tex Murphy games and is now called Indie Built or Axis Games, spelled A-K-S-Y-S, which published the Bit Trip games, Guilty Gear, Blaze Blue, Death Smiles, etc. Um, yeah, so there's a little bit of overlap in the naming there. Um, but he really kind of came into his own and started to make a 
make his presence known in the scene, so to speak, when he directed Spy Fiction on the PlayStation 2, which is not one that I've ever played before, but I've watched uh, um, quite a bit of a playthrough, and it looks really interesting. Um, It looks like a bit of a pretty obvious Metal Gear Solid knockoff, but it had some, I believe, like social stealth elements, like disguising yourself as members of a research lab to infiltrate it and and stuff like that. Stuff that was uh, felt like I was seeing it there a little earlier than I would expect to see that kind of thing in other games. And so it's uh, probably worth checking out if um, if that ever makes its way onto the PlayStation 4 or if you ever just want to check out a playthrough on YouTube. It's interesting. He directed a PSP port of a Gundam arcade game in 2009. Um, and then he directed Deadly Premonition in 2010 which we did a Cannon Rinse on in issue 93, all the way back there. And that is probably what he's best known for these days. That is another weird little curio, Mm -hmm. heavily based on Twin Peaks, which you'll find that this one is as well. I don't know how much we want to go into that, but it's kind of a detective murder mystery story that uh, takes a turn for the extremely bizarre very quickly. Um, Really quirky cast of characters, really strange setting and everything feels a little little off a little illogical in the way that you know david lynch movies are and then he was a designer on lords of arcana and lords of apocalypse for the psp and the ps vita in 2010 and 2012 respectively uh d4 dark dreams don't die came out on the xbox one in september of 2014 and on pc in june of 2015 this was published by microsoft studios on the xbox and playism on the pc Reviews tended to be uh, somewhat positive. On game rankings, it scores around a 73 to a 76, although reviews from major sites ranged from 70% to 90%. And um, I I wasn't able to dig up any kind of sales information, but from what I could tell, it sounds pretty bleak. From the first few months that it was released on the Xbox One, uh, which we should remind everybody that the Xbox One at launch had a hard time getting mm-hmm. into consumers' homes, I sh- we should say. Uh, it debuted quite a bit more expensive than the PlayStation 4, and it was uh, Microsoft didn't put the best kind of PR spin on things when they introduced the console. Uh, a lot of gamers felt very alienated by the way that the Xbox One was being introduced to them, and so there wasn't a large adoption up front, which was, uh, if this wasn't a launch title then it would have been soon after but i think september 2014 puts it where where does that put that in the it's xbox like a, lifespan almost a year later i think some note about the release too is i don't think anybody was expecting it when it came out i know everybody was looking right, for right. or people were looking forward to it but it was a really stealth launch like i think they announced the release date the same week it came out and it wasn't even really featured no. prominently on mm-hmm. the xbox storefront Um, So, yeah, it kind of got the uh, short end of the stick in in many regards. And I don't remember, was it a Kinect-only game at launch or were the uh, controller bits patched into it? No, the the Kinect stuff in there has been there all the time. But, yeah, the controller stuff has also been there. So Okay, I see. Mm. Yeah, but this was heavily marketed as being a Kinect game, which would have been fine since everybody at this point would have had a Kinect. Right, sure. But, um, you know, once the Kinect was kind of killed off, it uh, um, took a lot of the momentum. Well, not that this game had much momentum to begin with, but uh, uh, it, it probably hurt that even more as far as image goes. Um, but from one report that I was able to dig up, it sounds like within the first few months that it only sold like 10,000 copies yeah. worldwide, yeah. which is really 
really unfortunate. <laughs> I have to say, and this will probably bleed into a little bit into my history of the game anyway, but I felt a bit harsh, like criticizing Microsoft for the for the kind of ill treatment of this game. I mean, mm. with four guys sat here, you know, I'm not too sure I could come up with a marketing campaign to promote this game, and you know, I've spent mm. a long time with this game. There, there was a lot of hype. I won't say a lot. And this, this is where we have to get caught up. You know, we're in this kind of little niche of, yeah, we follow a lot of games. And this mm-hmm. was a game that I I knew from my, my I, I had played Deadly Premonition and um, mm-hmm. for, for Kane and Rinson specifically. And absolutely adored that game. Many reasons not to, mainly because it's mostly broken, but the ideas in there <laughs> are actually um, fantastic. And some of the story stuff is really well betrayed. Um, so I was excited about hearing about D4. Mm-hmm. And it's something that Microsoft talked about at E3 as part of their kind of sizzle reel. You know, we got mm-hmm. Swery working on a game for, for our company. And actually, um, at that time, there was a lot of people quite annoyed that it was an Xbox exclusive yeah, because yeah. Deadly Premonition actually still had enough traction and legacy behind it that people generally did want to play it. And it seemed a, quite an odd move to, to take a, a game of his and kind of make it an exclusive mm-hmm. to a platform. But then mm. the Kinect thing you know, seemed to be, you know, driving what this was. So, it, that, I mean, that's what it was part of, the Kinect sizzle reel. Right. I think, yeah. yes, it, it's come out. And, yes, it's not, you know, it wasn't pushed by Microsoft. But then again, you know, there's hundreds of games that come out now that, that mm. I, I wonder mm-hmm. what the sales figures are. Even with it eventually being given away for free, the conversation around it has, is all but dry. It's very mm. hard to, to kind of strike a conversation online, even at the time it was coming out. And, you know, you could argue that it marks us full, but, you know, they gave the game away for free. I, I don't know what else they could do yeah. to try to give Sweary a, a bit of a, a leg up. I think one of the big problems was that people kind of assumed that this game was going to be a launch game. And if it had launched, even being so heavily a Kinect game um, mm-hmm. with the console, I, I can't see that it would have sold as few copies. Yeah. Uh, yeah. as it did but coming out 10 months later when there was already a lot of signs there that Microsoft were changing direction with the Xbox One changing direction away from the Connect, it just came out at the worst possible time I think. I do think that's putting baggage on on a game that as I said Deadly Permission is a fantastic game um, but actually amongst our you know, small sphere how many people out of the you know the gaming kind of enthusiasts actually picked up a copy of Deadly Premonition. Oh, yeah, it's super niche still, it's, for sure. You know, yeah. And, yeah. and even Swery himself admits that Deadly Premonition never made any money, and I'd argue that's a far better really? game than D4. And yeah. it was wow. far more publicised um, and in the kind of lexicon that we were a part of. So, yes, I think there's some blame there on Microsoft, but I also think you know he he's making a game that is has its very small niche and then to complain yeah. that it mm-hmm. doesn't quite fulfil a niche of a large audience, well, you know, uh, maybe make something a little bit different if you're actually just chasing sales figures. It, it's yeah. always a shame. Don't get me wrong. I, I'd love every interesting game to sell more, but I, I don't think it, it falls squarely on um, any one publisher. Either one. Yeah. No, sure, sure. Yeah. Now, one thing that I had heard a little bit when this was announced was that it was a part of the uh, Kenji Eno's D series, um, which players will remember from the Sega Saturn and the Dreamcast, I believe, uh, D Enemy Zero and D2. It would make sense because of the naming convention and that this would have been the fourth game in the D series. Mm. Uh, And I don't know if that was kind of, if that was intended as a follow-up to the series, but they never like got rights permission or whether this 
is a part of the same, like inspired by the same thing, but they wanted to take it in a different direction. I don't know if the um, if Swery and his team ever were even aware of Kenji Eno series, but I remember seeing that come up at least a couple times mm. that the D series was connected to this. And kind of despite the fact that these aren't officially linked in any way that we can tell, there are some really strange similarities. Uh, for one, it employs the use of digital actors across the series, which is something, an idea that uh, Swery has adopted wholesale. He has used, and he actually uses the word digital actors throughout uh, to describe his content as well, but he uses characters with the same names across games. Like we'll see in this game, there was a Forrest Kaysen, and there was also a Forrest Kaysen in Spy Fiction and Deadly Premonition. And so, you know, he uses characters, not the same uh, uh, look necessarily, but uh, generally similar physique and same name as a way of like giving some sort of continuity between the series as if they are, uh, you know, being played by real people. Mm. Uh, And then the D series did that as well, giving different roles, the same names across that series. And then much of the D series centered around solving the mysteries of Dracula. And given the game's obsession with real blood and the appearance mm-hmm. of um, little Peggy's father towards the end of the second episode, I would say that like spinning this to be a modern day Dracula tale would not be a uh, um, an unexpected move. Mm. So yeah, you know, I, I always kind of in my head consider it to be a part of the d canon but um officially there's not been really any statements one way or the other so we can uh, we can only speculate yeah let's talk a little bit more about sweary himself because i think it's it's hard to talk about him without going into his general aesthetic and style um one interesting story <laughs> that just kind of coincidentally popped up within the last week is that he has become a buddhist monk now <laughs> right, so yeah. That's cool. Um, Yeah, I dig that. He's kind of following a lifelong dream, which is really, really cool and Uh really um, disencouraging. It doesn't really have anything to do with our discussion of the game. And in fact, it might even confuse a few points along the way. But um, (laughs) yeah, it's it's just a cool little note that was worth mentioning. Mm -hmm. But one thing that is uh, hard to avoid, and I, I don't want to come down too hard on the guy because I actually don't really mind this kind of thing. We live in a postmodern age anyways, is that he pays homage to other creators to the point at which it starts to feel like plagiarism. Mm. The fact that like he named himself Swery 65 is very reminiscent of Suda 51. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of hard to get around the fact that like, that's a little close for comfort. (laughs) Um, But, you know, he is obviously very heavily influenced by uh, David Lynch films. And, um, of course, David Lynch's seminal TV series, Twin Peaks, which um, Deadly Premonition was very, very heavily based on. It's about as close as we can get to an official Pretty much. Uh, Twin Peaks video game without having the license attached to it. But uh, this game does maintain quite a few aspects of uh, David Lynch's style, and a couple of scenes that are fairly reminiscent of uh, specific encounters in Twin Peaks, specifically the giant that you meet at one yeah. point later in the game reminds me very much of like the first scene from the second season yeah. of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
Uh, beyond that, this is also a time post The Walking Dead, uh, which is important because this is essentially a point-and-click adventure game, and it does play out much in the style of the recent Telltale games. I really appreciate a lot about Deadly Premonition. Like, Lynch is my favorite filmmaker and artist, so, you know, basing something on Twin Peaks is going to immediately grab my attention, and... Um, I really like appreciated the story and the interesting characters, but when it came down to like literally playing Deadly Premonition, I couldn't like yeah, I, I could not take the driving. I could not take any of the you know, and it just looked <laughs> awful. Like it was, it was. I was mm -hmm. trying so hard. I everything about Deadly Premonition is something I should love, and I I just couldn't do it. So if I may recommend a good alternative to actually playing Deadly Premonition, there is a uh, a let's play done by Super Great Friend, hmm. which is a fantastic playthrough of the game. It's uh, it hits all the major points you see. I think you see all of the content. It's very efficient, doesn't waste any time. The guy absolutely knows the game forwards and backwards. Hmm. And um, it's very funny and entertaining all the way through as well. He does, um, at, at certain points in the game, you have to replay levels that you'd already replayed. Mm -hmm. oh, God, and really? so you can always uh, skip those in the, uh, in the Let's Play. But he does introduce some very very funny kind of like comedy segments during those as well, mm. which unlike most Let's Players are like actually really funny. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I would recommend anybody who has even an inkling of interest in Deadly Premonition, do watch um, Super Great Friends playthrough of Deadly Premonition because it's it's wonderful. He, he took on the project and he had so many ideas. Mm -hmm. Actually, his, his foundations of story and, um, you know, even some of the gameplay ideas and time periods and, and waiting for the night day cycle to play out and certain things mm. coming across as and when murders would happen over, you know, at certain places. It was lots of good ideas, but as a developer, it never came together as a piece of gameplay. So yeah. for instance, in that, mm -hmm. like the cars are legendary. They, they don't, <laughs> they barely go forward. They drift yeah. across the road for no reason. Um, yeah. you know, they, they don't return. <laughs> and when you hit anything like a curb and it, they just stop dead. Stop. But, yeah. Oh yeah. My and God. the walking's you're like that. Me back. Curbs <laughs> where you can't walk up. But I mean, they're the kind of things that should put you off from a game. It's the game's fundamentally broken. You shouldn't really enjoy it. But actually all the other aspects were so good that it mm -hmm. kind of made those comedy hour. Like it's ridiculous mm. that you couldn't walk up a curb and would have to walk <laughs> two minutes down the street to find the on ramp. <laughs> oh. Um, to go through, mm -hmm. walk back up the street again. Stuff like that is, is... But you never quite knew if you were being trolled by Suri. Like, <laughs> mm. yeah. that was such basic game design that, you know, why would you have such great elements then hampered by such really basic um, game design? And he became legendary because of that. But actually, if you go through his back catalogue, that's, that's not what he was trying to achieve. He just overreached. And he is an odd character now because he's almost got this legacy of making completely bizarre and crazy stuff. Even mm -hmm. if really that only comes from one <laughs> one game, <Yeah. laughs> which seemingly could have just actually been a, a bit of a misstep from any other developer, mm -hmm. probably would mm -hmm. have been written off. But for for him in this case, it got pushed to the the, uh, the stratosphere with let's plays and podcasting giant talk bomb. and mm -hmm. giant bomb and mm -hmm. you know so many other people. Right? The ten out of ten review on IGN, right. wasn't it? Uh, Destructoid. Um, no, I that was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah it was all the way around. And the, <laughs> yeah. the, you know, the, the reviews that Jim were... Jim Sterling gave it a time. Yeah. So, yeah, as his character, it's it's odd to kind of pin down who he mm -hmm. is and what 
he actually is about other than, you know, really liking Twin Peaks, uh, which we definitely know <laughs> from his games. I'm reluctant to say that many of these are influences, but there's a bunch of stuff that came to mind whilst I was playing mm. through this. Obviously, David Lynch, we've talked about um, Mulholland Drive as well, but I think there's something very specific about the works of David Lynch that blend the macabre with the uh, surreal into a, a pre-established genre mm-hmm. where, sure. where yeah. your expectations aren't just being subverted, they're being purposefully challenged uh, yeah. as well. And th- that's obviously there. That goes back to Deadly Premonition. And this, I think, it feels, uh, from what I've heard of Deadly Premonition, very very similar to that. If you just lean on either the macabre or the surreal, you can go back to some uh, particularly early films from horror directors, which do some of the stuff that goes on in here. Um, I'm thinking particularly of Peter Jackson's Brain Dead and Bad Taste. Mm-hmm. Um, even Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. Uh, Evil Dead 2, he lent a lot more into the this the heavy mm-hmm. style of Slapstick it. Kind, and, yeah. and Yeah, and, and the knowing humour rather than just kind of, it's funny because it's kind of crap in terms of <laughs> production value. This is my mm-hmm. point about, you know, um, the transition between Deadly Premonition and D4 is that you're mm. not too sure is Spiri's purely living up to the fact that he's now got this a yeah. reputation uh-huh. for being slightly surreal or whether he's just stumbled across like the, maybe d4 was just that kind of weird thing that came off his mind and he never mean to you know pigeonhole himself down here but it's mm-hmm. the thing that got his yeah. name and yeah. it's the thing that ultimately you know microsoft funded That's his next yeah. next project and told him yeah we want some of that yeah, it's it's you never quite know if it's intentional or if he just right. stumbled onto this and doesn't know how to stop. Yeah, it's, it seems it seems more scripted than it does in D four. D four just seems like sure. it, it kind of happens around it. Uh, <laughs> in in Deadly Premonition, it seems like yeah, it happens around yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And D four, it seems a bit more like he's playing. Seems like it's a deliberate, as yeah. a, you know, as his yeah. kind of new mantle. Which you know, I what I do want to put out there, and which you know, we will get on to talking about, is that there's not enough weird games like this um mm-hmm. so you know we will talk more about that whether we liked it or not but the fact is that <laughs> yeah, he's certainly yeah. he's certainly taken it in a direction that you know others haven't mm-hmm. yeah so so um i mean there's also uh directors like uh, rob zombie with house of a thousand thousand corpses and stuff like that uh but the other thing that i got a strong sense of and, and possibly just because it's um it's from a similar part of the world uh is like late nineties Takashi Miike uh, stuff oh, like yeah. Kitchen Killer and Dead or Alive, um, uh-huh. just because it it seems to be doing one thing, but it's not afraid to just suddenly, yeah, you know, go really heavy yeah. on gore or uh, or just something bizarre, and and often presents characters who are uh, just completely surreal in amongst mm-hmm. very sort of straight laced stuff that's going yeah. on um, in in that way, uh, and I guess the other thing. Uh, Ryan, you mentioned Telltale, but um, Quantic Dream kind of has to be mentioned for me as well, just mm. because like the action sequences where you're having to do quick time, um, it's not unique to Heavy Rain or anything by any stretch, but sure. there is that's kind of the prototypical Heavy Rain, Fahrenheit, and I guess Beyond as well, are kind of prototypical examples of something that's trying to be filmic, but and, and therefore the gameplay often is, is going to be quick time stuff. Also, and I don't know if this was you know, if it ever crossed Swery's mind while he was making it. But I got like a little hint of like The Wire or some sort of police procedurals. And especially because the city of Boston was featured so heavily in the uh, kind of intro sequence mm. to the game. The great mm. accent. Um, intro like sequence the, uh, is so the, weird. 
It is because zero percent of the game takes place in Boston, and it's given like a title card, Boston. Yeah, it's like I mean they have the accents, but like not even the apartment in which we spend, you know, a lot of the uh, at home segments of the game take place in Boston, and so really like Boston has nothing to do with it. No, it's just the accents. Um, so Tony, we uh, you told us a little bit about it. Any more details you would like to add as to uh, your history with Swery and your history with this game? I really did enjoy Deadly Premonition for all its faults. It's an interesting game, and so D4 was a game that I was um, you know looking for. I I did pay my money um, to get it fairly early, and then only played it this year. So <laughs> I, I felt I felt like I wanted to support. Um, yeah, the artistic vision because right. I hadn't actually paid anything for Deadly Premonition. I I got a uh, you know a secondhand cheap copy, so it took me a while to finally get around to doing it. I was a big fan of Deadly Premonition, and really the idea of Deadly Premonition, but as a point and click adventure game, like pretty much preserving all the aspects of it that I liked and cutting out everything that I didn't like, <laughs> was really appealing to me. Um, I didn't get an Xbox One at launch. It probably took me about a year or so before I actually picked one up, and then even then, I didn't have a Connect for a while. I got this when it was free on Games with Gold. I just, you know, paid my five bucks for gold for the month or whatever it was and uh, played through it then. And um, and then I've recently gone back to it on the PC. And so I finished that just like a couple of days ago. Uh, James, how about you? Uh, so as I mentioned, I hadn't played uh, not only Deadly Premonition, but any um, of Swery 65's games. I'd heard a lot about Deadly Premonition. It was kind of impossible not to, mm-hmm. if you listen to and, and the podcasts I listen to and uh, sort of frequent the places that I go to to read about video games and uh, and stuff like that as well. So like Sean, it, w- it was actually September uh, 2014 that I, I picked up uh, an Xbox One. I just hadn't been in the situation to, to do that uh, before then. Uh, picked it up and... Um, it, it just so happened that this game ended up coming out on Games for Gold. But it was a game that I was aware of. And so when it came out, I was sort of watching it and thinking, should I have got the Kinect here? I could. Uh, and in the end, I uh, I didn't get around to playing it until today, uh, which is <laughs> t- two years after it came out. So um, I started it this morning and finished it off five minutes before. That has to be a new um, record for the show. <laughs> Someone literally playing it the day of <laughs> the day of recording. Uh, yeah. You know, I set out to, as I do with most games, if they're on the Xbox, um, try to get all the achievements I can. Mm. So uh, my playtime is twenty three hours. Um, right. Wow. There's a there's a lot there's a lot of content in there if you want to do everything that the games offers. Yeah, I literally looked at everything and examined yeah, everything yeah, yeah. and did everything. Um, yeah. Which is probably a very different experience than just kind of blasting through. But mm. all right, and Sean, how far back do you go with this one? Well, I got an Xbox One, I think maybe a month or two after Titanfall came out. So it did still have to connect with it. And uh, I was interested in D4, even though I didn't, you know, as I said earlier, I didn't enjoy my time with Deadly Premonition. Like, Swery is interesting enough to me to where I'll probably always follow his work if he if he comes back to games. I don't know if he's kind of on hiatus now or what. But So I was interested in D4, but the way it kind of, like, they announced the release date, and then it came out like a couple days later. The way it felt like Microsoft was just kind of pushing it out there made me feel like there wasn't much faith in it. And then the reviews kind of, you know, as you said earlier, not bad, but not glowing either. And I was expecting a little more after how critics received Deadly Premonition, you know, even though, you know, there's a two from IGN, there's low scores for that too. It still felt like most people kind of generally, you know, admire 
Deadly mm-hmm. Premonitions. So I was expecting a little more of a reaction or a positive reaction for D4, and I didn't really see any of that. So I didn't pick it up day one, and I got it on Games with Gold. Uh, before we get into the actual game itself, we should give a bit of a spoiler warning. This game is a uh, pretty much a story being told, and it has some really big surprises throughout. And I think it's best to experience those yourself. It's really not that much of a time commitment. And so if you're interested at all, then uh, just give it a playthrough. It's usually pretty cheap, too. So, um, yeah, and then we will be here when you come back. But for those who have played the game, let's dive into the story and uh, let's talk a little bit about that. The basic setup is that you play David Young, who is voiced by Ben Pronsky, who is a uh, he was a detective with the Boston Police Department. But during his investigation of a drug called Real Blood, his wife was killed. And there's some conflicting details here because it sounds like she had all the blood drained from her body, but mm-hmm. in the flashback scenes that we see of her, she seems all right. <laughs> she doesn't seem like she's a bloodless corpse. So I, I really don't know. This is exactly, I said exactly the same thing when mm. it became apparent that she had kind of the the last words she said were to David. And it's like, mm-hmm. with no blood in her body. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's bizarre. But actually, uh, he ends up getting taken away to hospital Mm -hmm. after she has said this to him he he gets basically absconded off to the hospital um uh, and wakes up with memory loss after the after the fact essentially Mm -hmm. Uh, and then after she has presumably died in his arms the blood is presumably then taken this isn't explained this is the only way it works Mm -hmm. that isn't yeah yeah. Yeah. it's almost like nothing in the story makes sense (laughs) (laughs) funny that (laughs) yeah and so yeah speaking of uh, so he got shot in the head, which caused uh-huh. memory loss on his part, kind of, mm-hmm. like, because he does seem to like he he knows that he has a long history with uh, Forrest as his partner in the police department. Yeah, he remembers he seems an awful to have lot, a full really, memory of. Yeah. yeah, it was just kind of that that specific episode that he forgot about. I think um, trauma, although, man, trauma. It seems to be the only yeah. thing he can't remember is who killed his wife. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Although at a few points during the story, when he meets characters and they recognize him, he says, maybe I yeah. knew them before. And yeah. so I don't know, like, it, it's kind of unclear to what extent his amnesia manifests. But, um, you know, for all intents and purposes, he has some degree of memory loss. But it, it does go a little further. So you obviously have Amanda mm-hmm. as a, a character inside the house. Um, mm-hmm. For those that don't know, Amanda um, dresses up as a feline cat. But there, there is a fairly, you know, good hint that in fact she is actually just a cat because you meet another cat that is called Amanda um, in the actual. Well, I shall call that. You dive into these um, sequences, um, and she's here there to help you sell in roughly the same way as she's basically a, yeah, a, yeah. a, a and, giver of stuff. And she's present in um, in your memories of your wife as well. There is a cat called Amanda with a ball on as well. So mm. yeah. there's one or two scenes that happen that you have a fight. You know, a, you know, a physical fight with her, and kind of the actions that you're seeing on screen are the actions of what a cat would do. But it, obviously, it's done via yeah. mm-hmm. a lady's interpretation of that. But it, it's very much like it's kind of implied that he's just seen this character for the sake of kind of you know imagining a woman in his house because it you know kind of ties back to his own life and, mm-hmm. and previous past. So, mm-hmm. um, and Forrest's yeah, but- partner never really, you know acknowledges her he kind of <laughs> just talks about the cat so yeah yeah she, she's a she's a cat as far as i'm concerned there's a couple of instances where i think it is forrest walks up and strokes her on the head yeah mm-hmm. so clear as kind if of, she's a cat so yeah there is you know some clear brain damage of some kind <laughs> to david yeah. which would make sense 
Although, uh, as a kind of counter-argument there, it sounds like Amanda's the one who goes out and does the shopping. So I'm not really sure how that <laughs> works. She but brings back regardless, that's the, the least of the inconsistencies that we can pick up in this game. <laughs> um, as a side effect to getting shot in the head, David also has the ability now to dive into the past. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of unclear how this works. It, it looks like he travels back in time if he is holding a memento, something that is uh, like an important object from the time that like a crime occurred or a major event happened. And he's not just an observer. He can interact with the past and kind of change the way that it plays out. But it sounds like he's not able to like change the past. And so while he's changing things in this alternate past, it sounds like the actual past just kind of played out the way that it always had. And so it's kind of an interesting idea, really, in that you are investigating a crime, you know, before it happens or while it's happening, but you're meddling with it and you're being there and you're observing of it has the chance to change some of the details. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, are you really getting an accurate report of what this crime Mm -hmm. was or, you know, what went down there? Hmm. Um, That idea isn't fully explored, but it's... uh, It's an interesting wrinkle that doesn't 100% make sense, but his big driving motivator, of course, he wants to kind of avenge his his dead wife. You know, they they fridged off his wife pretty quickly. And uh, and so he's wanting to solve the mystery and hunt down D, who he believes is responsible. D Mm -hmm. is the name of whoever's in charge of this real blood thing, presumably. Um, But he also has this idea that maybe if he does all the right things, then he can go back and he can change history as well. Um, kind of like the H.G. Uh, Wells, the time machine or something. And Forrest is kind of arguing that that's not possible. You know, fate plays out in a certain way. We can't go back and change the past. Um, but, you know, he is seeing little glimpses of hope. He's able to take things from previous time periods into his own. He's able to, I don't want to say enchant items, but he's able to make items, mementos, where they weren't before by giving them significance in his meddling version of the past Mm -hmm. and so you know there's some little indications that he is making some sorts of changes and on top of that it would it would seem that Forrest, which is his partner back from the the police force Mm -hmm. days when he was there seems to be having some sort of interaction with it looks like an organization that could you know be giving him mementos to to kind of interact with and to change aspects of the past even if it's uh for their own kind of mysterious doing as well so it's it's hard to know really what is actually going on. Yeah, the way that I read that is that um, Forrest is still a, a police officer on the police force, and he's just kind of like he sneaks the evidence away once you know there's no eyes on it anymore, and he lets uh, David rummage through it and say, "Are there any mementos well, that's, in that's here?" That's what I felt certainly throughout the game. But mm-hmm. the end, the end scene where he's meeting somebody in the bench, and it, you know, it, mm-hmm. I wasn't quite sure yeah. who that was, and it seemed a lot more nefarious than just yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, memento given. It, yeah. Well, that's a uh, that's a little Peggy's father that we yeah. saw in the first scene of the game. So the the interesting thing there is that he actually appears in in between David's visits to the plane. He yeah. visits mm-hmm. uh, Forrest at David's apartment. So the baseball, Forrest end up, ends up saying, oh, that that was in the box. I don't know how that got in there. Mm-hmm. And my assumption is if it wasn't part of the police investigation, maybe Peggy's father brought it as, mm. exactly as, as you were just saying, as a memento to be given to David um, separately. But um, 
So, yeah, I mean, this lies anywhere on the spectrum of it's all in David's head. He's not really doing any of this. He's just going lying in a bathtub for half an hour <laughs> um, and thinks he is visiting the past to this is all really happening and maybe he can change the past in small ways, but not significant ways. Ultimately, for David, actually, it doesn't matter. What he wants is to be able to find a memento that will allow him to speak to Peggy one last time. For as crazy as, as some aspects of the story is, I think his baseline, like it has a heart there. Um, you know, I I like David's portrayal of he, he feels like he he was part, you know, he's responsible for the, the death of his wife because you know it's, it's almost mm-hmm. like she was killed, you know, to get back at David for you know investigating the, this this crime organization, which is fairly you know it, you know that is a kind of base level. It's not uh, you know the first story you've ever heard of that, but it you know it's it's from the right place, yeah, from it's, the right it's heart. Pain or you know all the stuff that derived from as well. So let's keep going down this uh, this big list of characters. Uh, we've been introduced to Forrest Kaysen, uh, also known as Teddy, who is uh, was uh, David's partner on the force back when he was still a police officer, and um, yeah, he kind of serves the role of uh, it's kind of moral support and. Um, helping David with the investigation while David uh, seems to still be a pretty sharp police officer. And so I think, you know, Forrest just likes to have somebody that he can kind of bounce ideas off of while he's investigating other cases and stuff like that. And so they just seem to be like really good friends and actually really like the way that their friendships displayed here. You don't get like a lot of really solid, uh, just kind of fun friendships in games. And uh, so I like, I like Forrest and, my favorite scenes in the game are the ones where they're eating lunch and Hot dogs. dinner together. And <laughs> it's just the most outrageous scenes of mm-hmm. um, the two of them just kind of sitting down. And David's always doing something a little weird, you know, playing with his food or something. And then Forrest is just eating mass quantities in really comical ways. Well, the, the, hot, the hot dog scene specifically to me reminded me of, there's a scene again in Twin Peaks where uh-huh. there's a guy who's just cramming this uh, like, a, like a loaf of bread. I can't remember what it is, like a baguette or something, just cramming it as hard as he can into his mouth all at once. And like the sort of hot dog scene was, the hot dog scene to me is, may, might be, <laughs> And I don't want to be giving away my whole summary here, but it might be the only thing I liked about the game because <laughs> I I was like, I was losing it as as he, the dude is just cramming like four hot dogs at a time in one fell swoop. Seven. I can't admit seven. Yeah, uh, seven. And like, like my fiance walked in the room while I was playing that specific scene. She had no context. She hadn't seen anything else of the game. She just walks in and sees this guy just like hammering hot dogs, you know, nonstop. And it was just, it's such a ridiculous moment. And I, and I wish that there was a little bit more, as crazy as the rest of the game is, I kind of wish there was a little bit more uh, lighthearted craziness like that throughout the game. Yeah. And Tony, you would know how many of these uh, food scenes are there? Um, I think there's there's about seven, I think, in total. Okay, I, th- I think I've seen four or five of them. It's one of the things. I mean, I have to be careful here because I don't think this works for for all games. And in fact, um, you know, I was having a, a conversation with a few people on Twitter about this. Is kind of reminds me of um, the difficulty with with humor in games. So, for instance, there's there's another author, Suda Fifty One, who makes stuff like Shadows of Damned and No More Heroes um, and they have their own kind of style their own style of kind of comedy humour and they really great on me I mean, I, I know I can see why some people like them but Shadows mm. of Damned made me want to rip my own eyeballs out with, with the, with the humour displayed on those and, <laughs> and that's not a popular thing to say because some people absolutely adore that stuff mm-hmm. but for me it was the thing that actually I, I really had trouble 
good in myself for oh. those games due to the humor and i think um mm. Swiri has that kind of same aspect like i you know i think he he walks that same line if, if you don't like it then he has a very very high chance of actually turning you away from yeah the rest of his game and i know i think d4 is a, a absolute classic example of that you know once again you could blame the publicity all you want but ultimately you know your first half hour with d4 if you don't engage that humor straight off then it's probably a no start doesn't matter that the game's three Mm -hmm. hours if you don't get past that first half hour as you know there's plenty of evidence to say that people didn't then you know you're not coming back and you're not playing more of it and you're you're not demanding you know the next season of games and it's a really odd Mm -hmm. one to have an episodic content based around something like this which is so you know specific that it could all go wrong and I, and I think kind of that's what happened with D4 now I did like the humor and I think the the eating scenes as utterly ridiculous as they are I mean, th- that scene you're talking about the hot dog there's mm. mustard sauce dripping out the side of his cheeks <laughs> you know clearly like it's obvious he's eating a hot dog and there's white sauce sure. dripping out the side of his cheeks it doesn't take a lot to, to get but you know those scenes get bigger and bigger to the point where you know he's he's got a pizza with all sorts of toppings on and it's rolled up in this massive kind of pancake thing. And he's, you know, there's one point that he has, I think it's like seven, eight steaks on a plate, cuts them all in Mm. like one slice, (laughs) just opens up his mouth like a snake, (laughs) just pops them all in. Meanwhile, David is just like chowing down on a single pancake of a uh, Mm -hmm. strawberry on top. Now, I I don't know. I don't know how important that is to this game, but um, it it raised a smile to my face every time I hit one Mm. of those scenes. And the conversations were always like genuinely interesting as well. Like Mm -hmm. I could just kind of sit there and listen to them talk for a long time just because they're just engaging characters when they're just being genuine with each other and telling the stories about, you know, Forrest's wife and about the cases that he's working on. It's like really interesting stuff. Yeah, using the salt and pepper pots as demonstrations of people being killed yeah, by yeah. each other. It's it's <laughs> quite funny. Yeah. Uh, next character that lives in the apartment is Amanda, who we mentioned already, who is a, a blonde lady, acts like a cat, dresses in kind of like a sexy one-piece swimsuit type thing with a big bow on the top of her head. Real strange choice, but, uh, you know, whether she actually is a cat or whether she is, I I don't even really know what kind of condition she would be suffering from in that case, but... um, yeah, just a real, real strange inclusion. Yeah, she, she, she doesn't talk. She Some acts meows. physically and and <laughs> makes sounds of a cat. Um, do, doesn't whenever you see her sitting, she's kind of squatting or you know as a as a cat would. At one point, on top of the TV, of all things, for crying <laughs> out loud. I mean, it it literally is. This character could have been a cat in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 there would be no difference to the character other than you wouldn't be constantly thinking this is just really weird. It's it it really is bizarre uh, that that character to see a human acting as a cat and essentially mm. no one acknowledging that she is not a cat. Um, <laughs> you know why that is, James? Yeah. That's because she's a cat. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, throughout the game. Dave, David keeps having these weird flashbacks or hallucinations that his wife, who he knows as Little Peggy, um, voiced by uh, Carrie Karenin, is still alive and interacting with him. And so she, he has little glimpses of her throughout. And it's kind of unclear whether that's just him thinking about her or whether he seems to be kind of taken aback every once in a while or he starts to interact with her. And so presumably he's really seeing something anyways but those scenes are always kind of weird she's very uh 
she feels like kind of an unrealistic character in a way. Like she feels very infantilized, like mm-hmm. woman type, the like always so cheery and happy. Mm-hmm. And um, she's very much on a pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. The voice actress plays a very opposite character in Xenoblade Chronicles X. But um, yeah, it's just, it's just a weird, uh, weird kind of uncomfortable yeah. character who. I don't really care for that. Slightly angel-like voices, like Dave. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, there, there's direct reference to her being, an, you know, seen as an angel, as this kind of mm-hmm. perfect being uh, in in the sort of uh, voiceover intro to each episode. You actually get letters from from her around the apartment. Yes. Actually, um, yeah. different times that you do different things within the day, game. If you dive back to the apartment, you'll find more letters like next to your your, your pedestal and next to your bed and stuff like that. Um, they give you a little, a few more kind of insights about their relationship, you know, outside of the, the main kind of before her death, and you know the fact that she was pregnant, and you know all that yeah. kind of little details around their, their yeah. kind of when they first met, and, and bits like that. So, they, you know, they they do flesh out that stuff, um, but just not kind of in cutscenes. The, the one thing I was going to say about that is even in the letters, uh, the ones I saw, which isn't all of them by any stretch, probably four or five of them. Um, yeah, you find out she was pregnant, but all of her letters, they're written almost as, almost love letters. She is glowingly effusive about David and building him up and telling him how great he is and how much she Mm -hmm. loves him and how much, you know, so it all kind of comes back to the same thing that this character is entirely about how she makes David feel. Um, that's her Mm -hmm. purpose in the story. So you see her as, as a child uh, having an accident on a lake. And, and then you see her in several times in kind of almost like a, a white gown, not wedding dress, but but white gown. Uh, and then you see her a couple of times in flashbacks that are obviously direct memories of something that happened. And then I think a couple of times you see her with a bloodstain on her clothing as if she's been shot. Uh, but whenever she appears to David, she very much, to me, felt like an intangible woman on a pedestal. She is perfect. It's all about mm-hmm. how she makes David feel. And that that was awkward for me, I've got to say. I mean, this is ultimately the problem without having a complete story. And, you know, for those who mm-hmm. don't know, you, yes, there's sure. no, there has been no sequel to this. Um, well, there's been no more episodes to follow up. The one, well, it's called season one. So, um, <laughs> and we'll get on to that a little bit more. But they, because there is no conclusion, you, you can't. Yes. There's no her character arc doesn't seem to be finished. Yeah. And and, yeah. and neither does David. I mean, for all we know, in, no a David, yeah, yeah. In, in a David Lynch start, like he he could well be the, the murder of her. Um, you know, it, it's implied by enough people that he, you know he mm-hmm. may have done this. Um, yeah. And we don't want to believe that, of course, because these you know, the main um, protagonists that we're he playing. Is but yeah. Yeah. he certainly, you know, there's a certain enough evidence in there that you know, he could be involved somehow. But I guess. You know, unless this you know this miraculous sequel ever actually happens, we'll never know that arc. And it and it kind of yeah, a lot of the characters they don't have this this arc of like you know, that we can talk about because ultimately it's like coming in here talking about the first three episodes of The Walking Dead and not having the full yeah. arc of Clementine. It's it would be a very different mm. um, game. Yeah, and just kind of basing it off of what we have though, like between little Peggy and Amanda and uh, Deborah Anderson, who's another character that will meet um, kind of a, like a hypochondriac, like very afraid of every little thing and, uh, you know, paranoid that the plane is going to get struck by a lightning bolt, which it eventually does. So I don't know if <laughs> she was onto something there, but, uh, but just seemingly just a really kind of insufferable character in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, 
really like the way that women are portrayed in this game. Like mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of women with the exception of Olivia Jones, who seems yeah. to be yeah, not perfect, but like still like a much stronger character than any of the other women. But mm-hmm. most of the women either have some sort of like something is wrong with their mental faculties yeah. or they're played for kind of like, you know, cheap, like sex yeah. uh, thrills or played for laughs or something. And, it doesn't really feel like the women characters get get as much room to breathe mm-hmm. as the men do. And it's weird because, like, this is coming from Swery, who in Deadly Premonition, uh, not that I can, yeah. I can't remember much about Deadly Premonition, but what I do remember is that there weren't any terribly offensive stereotypical characters. And Towards the end, it kind of rode that line a bit. Did it? By, okay. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't remember. But um, and it's, it's not even entirely just the women here, too. Like, there's a couple, I, I mean... They don't explicitly say that they're gay, but there's a couple characters who seem very, like, stereotypically flamboyant, I guess. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's really um, off-putting, I guess, you know, for me and I'm sure for many others, too. It's just just a weird, it's weird because you know he's capable of of more than this. And maybe, like you said, Tony, he had better plans for the future of these characters. um, But unfortunately, it doesn't look like we're going to see that. So, judging it as it is. Her character is closest. If you, I mean, once again, if you played Devon Mission, you would know this. There's a character in there called Sigourney, um, and she basically have a pot mm. that she doesn't want to get cold. You know? <laughs> um, and it's yeah, a whole, so log lady basically from yeah. It's a whole side quest which is you know yeah you go on for ages. It, it's one of the funniest jokes in the game <laughs> is what's in what's inside this pot and it goes on for ages and there's you know she'd shout this pot's going to get cold over and over again <laughs> and it's to the point of annoyingly annoying. But uh-huh. you always want to know what was in the pot because you've done like two hours worth of side quests. I'm not going to spoil what was in the pot, but it was well worth waiting for. Um, <laughs> or not, I don't know. Um, but she reminded me of that, just a, a really, really irritating character that mm. you just didn't want to have to have any kind of interaction with. But actually, through the back half, of it, there's, there's re- there is a few reasons she talks about, you know, if, once you've done a couple of jumps in and out of those scenes, she's a bit, par- she's paranoid and she's had some, you know, trouble in the past with, with flying and whatnot. So I'm not going to say she's, she's well developed, but, you know, I think he does try <laughs> to give her a, a bit of charm. But yeah, she, I mean, she is, I think on purpose, annoying to the, to the, uh, the player. And I think there's something to be said here that actually, if you think about Derek Buchanan, the U.S. Marshal, Antonio Zapatero, the the courier criminal who's who's being um, escorted by the the marshal, mm-hmm. uh, Duncan, Philip Cheney as well, and even actually David and Forrest are, if they're not stereotypes, they're pretty heavy cliches. Mm-hmm. How they are you know, yeah, yeah. in a lot yeah. of ways. I mean, D- David's a classic cop who's dropped yeah. out of the force mm-hmm. cliche in in many ways, and Forrest is a cop who likes to eat lots of food and is mm-hmm. overweight and mm-hmm. relies on his partner to do a lot of the work but is genial and you know yes yeah. they may be slightly more nuanced but actually there's a lot of cliche to a lot of these characters as there is in a lot of the stuff we talked about potentially being influences of this game so mm-hmm. um I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but yeah i think tony perhaps you're right this feels like the first act of of three and Mm -hmm. we've seen setups to characters and we haven't necessarily seen where those characters go. Mm -hmm. How do I explain this? Because I I agree with you, Sean, that the characters here, you know, they're not a brilliant portrayal of any kind of, um, and, and once again, it's, it's whether you find that, that humor, um, Mm -hmm. tolerable or not. And I, as I said, you know, in, um, Shadows of Dan, you know, get a hold of my big boner being shouted at me 15 times, wanted me to just scream. Yeah. 
so much, mm. and so I can understand why that would be, you know, the case here. If if with um, Duncan going, you know, avant garde, mm-hmm. there, there's a great scene that, that you you probably didn't come across is if um, you unlock one of the costumes, which is an avant garde costume, and mm. you actually redive that scene in an avant garde costume. So you look the spit image of, of um, Duncan, and you mm-hmm. walk up to him, and he becomes really pally pally buddy buddy with you because he's like, Oh, <laughs> clearly you are a man of yeah. pure fashion and taste. And he, <laughs> you know, you get to, to, to speak with Suki, his, his, um, friend, um, <laughs> not yeah. mannequin, his friend. Um, right, yeah. and yeah, they, they hit kind of a, a more kind of buddy buddy relationship purely because, you know, you dress the same mm. as him. So I'm not going to say that gives the, the, the character depth, but it like clearly, you know, there's some there's some ideas there that you know mm-hmm. don't get pushed to the forefront, um, and you have to a bit like Deadly Premonition. If you do a bit of dig- digging, there's actually some some funnier stuff to be found that that is on not on the surface. Well, say on the topic of uh, Deborah Anderson, the kind of paranoid and annoying flight um, compatriot in a way, uh, she kind of her turn in the story, like. Uh, David, the player character, really kind of is very quickly annoyed with her from the very beginning, uh, from their first interaction, because she's kind of berating him. And uh, and then their second interaction, she doesn't really change her behavior, but she's wearing like a really low cut top. And yeah, David's like, yeah. oh, you know what? Actually, maybe she's not so bad after all. <laughs> it's like, oh, come on, man. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> come on. Unfortunate. For sure. But um, yeah, anyways, let's uh, uh, keeping on with the list. We have Olivia Jones and Philip Cheney. Uh, Olivia Jones is uh, a flight attendant on the flight that um, the mystery takes place on. Uh, we, we traveled back in time to investigate the disappearance of a, um, I don't know if it's like a witness in custody or something, but um, it takes place on an airplane, kind of a, a good like closed door or closed room mystery. So Olivia Jones is one of the flight attendants who turns out to be like a secret agent who I believe is also investigating the same career. She's um, a she's a DEA agent, yeah, who's mm-hmm. keeping tabs right, right. on on the marshal and the the either witness or criminal that he's ex- he's escorting, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And she's uh she's fine, maybe a little boring. Kind of the most interesting thing about her is how similar she is to little Peggy, especially in having like very similar moles next to her eyes. Yeah. And so she kind of like reminds David a lot of little Peggy and that leads to some kind of uncomfortable situations. But um, yeah, it, just a little, a little boring, but um, you know, decent enough character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Philip Cheney is someone who is, who reads as being very obviously evil and <laughs> it looks to be in the end of the second episode that was the uh, correct Mm-hmm. assertion all along although who knows maybe things will be subverted but um or would have been if this were to continue yeah. but he's a strange character he's built like a football player or you know even bigger mm-hmm. uh, he's he's an enormous human being and he's very kind of like calm and confident and uh just kind of talks down to everybody uh has a real like thick accent and takes some sort of drug from his inhaler uh which makes him breathe like red fumes which since we're looking for a drug called real blood yeah, it's right. the real blood isn't it yeah yeah so it's weird because he's also a dea agent and i don't really know how he would get away with that but whatever <laughs> but yeah and then it turns out at the end of the second episode that he uh is some sort of giant robot person 
uh, like a Terminator type guy who Rule Blood Man. That's what it's doing to me. You know, yeah, you know, <laughs> whatever. Never mind. <laughs> the interactions that I really like with him are the uh, airplane trivia. Actually, yeah, that's a ridiculous. Side <laughs> you get to play these weird little uh, mini games. You get to play three rounds of airplane trivia with him and then three rounds on his cell phone, which you find later just lying in the carry-on compartment. And it's weird because like, it's actually really interesting. <laughs> and I, I got like a lot out of just <laughs> learning like, oh, that's why they would fill, uh, you know, the landing gear tires with nitrogen. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah, <laughs> it's just interesting plain facts that I, I don't know how much they really relate with the story i mean obviously he wanted to brush up on his plain facts so that he can kind of go undercover as a flight attendant but uh yeah it it might just kind of play into his characterization as being like a perfectionist and wanting to be perfect at what he does i know you get for doing them all correctly but i think the last challenge you have to get 30 questions of quite hard difficulty correctly um and you get an outfit (laughs) but hey you know (laughs) Which, yeah, which actually speaks to some of the side games. There's one side game at the very end where you have to collect 200 clovers as they fall from the top of the screen. Don't talk to me about that game. (laughs) They killed 200. I was like, what? No. No. It's just nuts. It gets harder. For the final achievement of that that clover game, it's 1,200. So, yeah. That took me a while. Well, they, uh, you get multipliers you get every multipliers, time you freeze yeah. them, and the four-leaf clovers, which become more frequent as uh, the game goes on. Um, so you, the uh, the score does go up kind of it's exponentially the longer yeah. it goes. You've got to survive about yeah. eight minutes. That's what it is, but yeah. And it's uh, almost insultingly easy with a mouse. So this yeah. is obviously something that's built for Kinect. Yeah. And yeah. It just yeah. really Oh, no, it's all very, for Kinect, easy. but it's, it's easy with the controller. Mm. So, well, yeah. easy. It's mm. tolerable yeah. with a controller. See, yep. like, I think this might be where you're, Tony, you were talking earlier about, like, the humor. If it if it doesn't stick with you, then you're not going to appreciate it. Because to me, all this side quest stuff was, like, such a waste of time. Like, it had, none of it had anything to do with, uh, seemingly, you know, again, I feel like I have to caveat every opinion with we don't know because maybe it all ties together in the yeah. end of, of Swear's story. But as it is right now, like, all this side quest stuff, like, meant nothing. To, I just felt like I was totally wasting my time. Like, I I don't know. It's, it just wasn't... None of it was funny to me. Like, the, the, the Clover thing. Like, why is this even here? Like, mm-hmm. what am I... I just... I don't know. I, I just... I didn't enjoy really any of the side stuff. That's why I said earlier I only did, like, one or two of them. Because, I, I don't know. It just it wasn't really connecting with me. That bit felt quite a bit uh, tacked on, so to speak. Uh, it felt more like a like a tech demo, like something that they did to prototype like the use of Connect, and mm-hmm. they just decided to throw it in the game as like an Easter egg. But yeah, it's kind of weird and how easy it is to encounter in the critical path through the game. Yeah, right. Uh, the next character is Duncan, who is a fashion designer who uh, is very very flamboyantly dressed, very uh, flamboyant personality as well. Uh, I can't really decide whether or not I like him. Like he's he's kind of fun. He has his yeah. moments. Um, yeah. yeah, he mm-hmm. does come across as a bit of a stereotype. I like how just kind of uninhibited he is as a character, mm. and his weird maybe sexual relationship with this mannequin that he parades around <laughs> and yeah. stuff. Like that's <laughs> that's interesting texture, sure. like yeah. to this weird character. And so you know, I don't really, I don't 
absolutely don't hate him. I uh, don't know if I like him, but like I, he's one of the more interesting ones, I would say. It also plays, you can see, tell him from a time period as well. So you end up on this, this plane twice through different mementos. And um, it turns out that it's the plane going one way and then coming back the other. So his his fashion display of avant-garde changes to uh, like a military esque look yeah retro and military i think yeah, he refers to it as the first time around and says oh i'm so glad we're past that retro and military phase and then you go back in the second dives takes place before and there he is on a flight that's presumably like two hours beforehand in his retro and military phase and uh, once again another real blood user yeah i'm not going to say that you can oh, get it true yeah, it's it, he. There's a lot of um, detail with him later on in the game. I, I'm not mm. sure whether that's extra stuff or not. I, I, I haven't played this game that long ago, but it is hard to re- to recall some of this, these uh, the more finer details. But he um, he talks about um, you know taking real blood basically in a, in a nightclub scene and oh, I didn't encounter that. He is involved in in the overarching story of why people are on this plane, um, which is seems like most of the people on the plane have some sort of connection to real blood. Um, Derek Buchanan obviously being one of the ones we haven't talked about you know, all he does is investigate real blood um, crimes because you know it, it's, you think he's kind of really abrasive and just typical kind of US Marshal but it turns out that both his wife and children were killed by um, a real blood user so you know, hence why he's completely obsessed with Erwin it's one of those yeah. things where you don't really like the character but obviously you know, by the end of it um, David has a, a connection with, with him purely through the fact that you know, his own yeah. wife was killed by supposedly killed by a, a real blood user it seems like he would have been rather uh, neutral towards david if david hadn't like provoked him at every mm-hmm. possible turn <laughs> so it's really his own fault that um that derek gives him such a hard time <laughs> agreed he he's one of the um the first characters you talk to when you first come onto the plane in the first dive um that gives you an idea that he has a past relationship with you um that he's aware of and uh it happens with a lot of the characters but with him was one of the first times i noticed it where i kind of thought okay does does he know who i am because he's immediately aggressive towards you uh in a way that suggests that he knows something about you or why you're there which i thought was was quite interesting given where the characters end up and you kind of find out it, it doesn't necessarily uh make you forgive him for how uh, awful he has been just as a as a person um, to find out what happened to his wife and child, but it at least points in the direction of there's something going on with this character and something they were trying to do. Uh, and he's one of the characters that it seems like their story arc is possibly wrapped up by the end of this part of this story. Although mm-hmm. obviously, if you're still going to be flashing back to the plane in the future, or you know, you still may bump into him, but uh, at, at least we've. We find out that he is one of the people that dies on the on the plane. And so, yeah, we've talked a bit about Antonio Zapatero, the drug runner, and uh, kind of the last character that I thought was you know, worthy of note was the giant, whose name is Roland Walken, who is a very, very, very tall, very limber black man who has a uh, kind of a medical garb on, like he's a doctor, he's including a, a surgical mask. face mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, always seems to be kind of rubbing a fork and a knife together. Um, So, yeah, interesting, weird. And it feels like it's just kind of weird for the sake of being weird. And again, I would love to see the 
full of storyboards. Although, you know, this kind of, this entire game has a little bit of a feeling of being made up while they go. But um, I, I would love to see like, you know, why all these details were chosen and if there were plot significant reasons. But um, it seems like nobody except for David can see Roland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's very and Roland seemingly like has yeah. some kind of like, almost godlike knowledge yeah. of um the situation like that's his internal kind of you know monologue a little bit just like you know it was yeah. the knife and falls like you know there's something eating at his brain and mm-hmm. it's you yeah. know eventually it's gonna you know spew out and because uh, the, the whole character roland he he never points anything out you know as is he just gives you clues and hints mm-hmm. to what may have been and it's it's quite odd kind of breaking it down. I don't entirely understand the character, but I, w- I would say that, once again, it's, it's kind of the character of his own kind of imagination yeah. and yeah. kind of his representation of, you know, those thoughts that are just stuck and are eating at him. Uh, it's hard without the kind of the full arc. But, yeah, if, if you've seen Zootopolis he, he, or Zootropolis, he, he talks very similar to the sloth <laughs> in that, which is really slow and odd. Yeah, but he, he's such an interesting character. And he's like... It's kind of like he pokes out his head b- behind corners and stuff every once in a while. And a couple of times, like it really caught me off guard. Like, oh boy, there's a face there now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, such a strange and interesting yeah. character. And really like any time that I interact with him, I generally end up liking it because he's just such an enigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, such an interesting fellow. Uh, let's talk a bit about the uh, mechanics of the game. I guess, first of all, let's go into the controls. Uh, this was originally developed to be a Kinect game, and I don't know if the controller stuff was developed alongside it or whether that was patched or not patched in after release, but whether that was uh, kind of ad hoc or later in the development cycle added to the um, added to the game because it doesn't feel entirely natural. No. Um, but yeah, it, it can be controlled entirely by the Kinect mm-hmm. or by the mouse or a combination of mouse and keyboard, just whatever you prefer. And uh, as such, it it functions a little bit differently than Deadly Premonition did, of course. It kind of works like a uh, light gun type game in a way. Like yeah. you yeah, move on to rails, specific basically. points mm-hmm. in the environment and you can just kind of pivot from there and look around and kind of investigate your surroundings. And pretty much everything you do requires some sort of movement from you, which probably feels fine using the Kinect, but feels a little silly when you're doing it on the mouse or the controller or something. Mm-hmm. And then everything you do also takes away from your stamina. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, just like looking at a magazine makes you more tired. (laughs) Well, the the funniest thing about this to me is that, yeah, exactly. Looking at a magazine or opening up a a drawer like takes away from his stamina, right? But any kind of fight (laughs) scene or scene where he runs away from something, (laughs) nothing. No stamina used whatsoever. He's totally fine. Oh, that's the adrenaline in that case. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's fair enough. It's really odd as well. If you open a cupboard... Um, uh-huh. Obviously, it takes mm-hmm. both, say, you know, free stamina from your overall pool of health, so which uh-huh. at the very start I think is ninety. Um, yeah. But if you then go and reopen the same color uh, cupboard, it doesn't take away any stamina. So it's mm. the initial oh, reaction to yeah. what you're doing, and then yeah. not after. It's it's odd. It, it's it's something that I it never really honestly played out to much more than just keeping an eye on um, a bar and yeah. every now and again eating a piece of food, either from the apartment or from your surroundings it, it's not it's not particularly well implemented the seminar bar can go down fast but it's never to mm-hmm. the point of like oh my god i can't complete this scene because you can always dive back home get some food 
and just dive back pretty much in the same yeah. place you you left the scene as or, or just find the cat in the scene you're currently in whatever it may be and I mean, some aspects of it is the um the unlockable costumes and stuff that you can buy from the cat mm. the different scenes and whatnot that you unlock um you know one, it makes your character look a bit more dapper, but two, it gives you abilities. You know, you have this vision points, which is you press mm. whatever it's Y on the Xbox, but it's um, y, yeah. um, and it kind of points out glowy objects in the environment, of points of interest, um, which uses a point. Um, um, so you can have outfits that you know lean on that if that's something you always use, or outfits that lean more on stamina, give you 20, 30, 40 points more stamina. Um, so it, I guess it's an, an a way of altering to your play style through extra little kind of outfits and mechanics it doesn't really play into much at all it, it's just one yeah, of these I, I never ran out of stamina yeah, it's just one of these things that happen in the background that i'm sure if you just completely forgot it would affect you but it's so just there as a mechanic which is you know pointless at that point it might as well not be there at all so the the only time i ran out of stamina was on my first visit to the plane when i did mm. um the two side missions for uh, Deborah, that have you kind of running up and down the plane, finding windows and carpets mm-hmm. that are perfectly safe, but she's worried about. But as it turned out, I had already bought a rabbit's foot just randomly, um, which if you run out of stamina or health or uh, vision points, instead of kind of pushing you out of the dive that you're in, uh, it, it just automatically refills those and uses the rabbit's foot. So from that point on, I just made sure I had a rabbit's foot on me at all times and never worried about it in the slightest, aside from just, you know, if I happened to open a cupboard or a drawer or a back-of-the-seat sort of tray table um, and there was something there to eat, I just ate it. Before we got into the action scenes, there's, there's another point to this, and, and I probably I wouldn't have known this if it wasn't for the achievements to, to dragging me kind of towards this stuff. Um, there's, there's an achievement for basically looking at everything, but that's not just say pick up a tin of beans you have to hold the cursor over the top of the the item right, and it right. comes up with you know a tin of beans my favorite i don't like um the ones with brown sauce like there could be like three or four different little aspects about his own yeah. personal david's mm-hmm. personal life or where this object has been um it's very easy just to click on the object pick the object up and then that's that but actually, if you want, I mean, essentially, I was going for the achievement for this, but it was kind of interesting to to read all the aspects of one particular item. It makes the, the whole experience yeah. 10 times longer. It really does. Yeah, it really slows down the pacing. I like the idea, though. Completely, um, just yeah. Just to kind of see the, the thought process. But yeah, it just murders the pace. It does. Who played with Kinect? I was just going to ask, but on controls, no, given didn't. we're talking about it. I did. To a degree, mm-hmm. this is maybe the fundamental problems of Connect, right? But you know, I I actually quite like I've I enjoyed the Connect on the 360 um, to a degree. There's some games I I really liked on it and thought worked really well. A bit like Wii Sports, you know, some things just function really well, other things do not function very well. Um, D4 unfortunately is one of the ones that doesn't function very well. You'd you'd actually think holding your hand up and just placing it over the icon of move forward over there um, would work fairly fairly well but actually one it's just i'm gonna say it's tiring i mean i'm a strapping young lad it doesn't get tired <laughs> to hold his arm up but it's it's kind of pointless for no reason to have it there other than moving a cursor there yeah. um it also requires you to do a lot of things so with the you know new connect you it can recognize if you're shutting your fist or pulling or punching yeah. so you have to do a lot of that stuff using the connect which is you can't just push your hand over an icon you have to also you know grab it and 
do Grab stuff. Grab or push or, yeah, yeah. Which, you know, I, I don't know. But it, it's, once again, it murders the pace. It's mm-hmm. always slightly finicky. It doesn't quite work as smooth as you want. But, and this is where I put a really big caveat, because I actually think it works really, really well in the action scenes, which we haven't talked about, but they're basically um, quick time events, cutscenes, yeah. QTE cutscenes. Um, where you know you end up in a fight, say against um, Zappoletto in on the plane, and um, there'll be a number of things. Now the controller, it's you generally have to push A, B, maybe a couple of triggers, push it in a direction of the stick, etc. The way that you know any QT to, to do, and it's, yeah, it works. It's you see the scene play out. It's really hard to get perfects um, to do anything much at all. Now I think on the PC, is it all mouse swipes from what I watched a, a playthrough earlier? Yeah, yeah, you don't even have to hold down the left mouse button. It's just kind of the movement of the mouse. <laughs> Which is odd. And then you have to drag, like, circles down into place for certain things yeah, I watched. Yeah. I, it looked honestly alien to me. I couldn't really get my head around it, but <laughs> okay. Um, but on Connect, it, it's really fun um, because you do actually feel like you're more involved in those scenes. So instead of just pressing yeah. A and B, um, say Zabaletto comes charging at you and he throws, um, you know... Uh, he throws kind of on those trolleys down the, the aisle and you kind of have to swipe left or right of your hands to grab a woman mm. and then lower her down into a seat um, by you know, moving your, both your arms down. Um, it feels like you're more involved in the scene. And the absolutely yeah. pinnacle of this is there's a scene in that Sabaletto one where he, he throws a baseball at you. Um, mm-hmm. Don't ask. It's odd, but he throws a baseball at you. And instead of just pressing A to hit it with a bat, you actually have to stand up and take the style of a baseball player and swing the bat and hit back the ball and it kind of flies back yeah. hits him in the face you know how the scene works out and it's very very yeah, funny yeah. you've also got that scene where you've got the microphone once again just hit it with a button just goes off but if the connect you have to have to shout really loudly for the connect <laughs> so with the microphone you're going ah and it goes off with this great big thing and it to me that stuff it worked really well it was a lot more fun a lot more kind of tactile i guess um when you were grabbing stuff to choke him on that scene it was like you're literally grabbing two hands and pulling the wire between the two points a lot more fun um and for that stuff i did with a connect um and then reverted back to the controller to play Mm. all the other stuff because the connect in the environment was awful and the controller Mm. was absolutely fine but actually vice versa i thought the the action scenes were kind of dull and pointless apart from the being mm. fun um, to, to watch, but also actually in the Kinect, they were actually fun to play. So a mm. mixed bag. And I, I would suggest if you have the ability to kind of do exactly mm. what I did. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah, so I, I never got to any of the action scenes with Kinect because the first scene on the frozen lake, um, I wasn't sure if it's because I didn't have quite enough room to stand far enough back from Kinect, but it sounds like it's the same either way, which is Kinect for a game like Dance Central or it sounds like for the action scenes in this where it's registering your movements without necessarily needing precision placement mm-hmm. of your hand or of your, your foot or whatever it may be. Connect works great for that. What it doesn't in this case or didn't for me work great for is when you have to hover your hand over uh, a menu in the way that you, you, you did have to on Connect Sports or Connect Adventures and um, what you had to do was hover it there for a timer whilst the kind of ring filled up and then selected it for you mm-hmm. whereas in this game what you do is hover your hand over and, and grab uh, or push f- like forward towards the screen with your hand which is fine except if you've lined your hand up and then you push and just because you do 
because uh, it's involving various muscles in your arm <laughs> yeah. as you push. You don't keep your hand lined up right, yeah. and you slip off the icon. Nice. It's just like, well, so my fear was, well, in an action scene, if I do that and it doesn't register and I, I therefore fail the quick time event, it sounds like they didn't do that. No, it's a lot more lenient. It's about, yeah, it basically shows you like a directional arrow on the screen is what you have to then Which makes sense because they they do the thing that, uh, say, Heavy Rain did, which is try and approximate the stick movements to Mm -hmm. which way you are swiping or pushing something. But, yeah, that doesn't quite work as well as if you were actually just swiping your arm in that direction. Uh, But, yeah. It doesn't add to it. And even, I mean, those action scenes become a lot easier to 100%, etc. You get graded on them. But it, it doesn't mm. affect, like, the, the scene doesn't play out any different if you do. I mean, you could just literally leave the controller oh, really? on the floor. Yeah. And you don't fail out the scene. Aside just, from losing health is the only yeah, thing you might, that would yeah. be a problem. Um, they play out no differently. So it's it's you don't really have much involvement other than just you know, wanting to do this stuff because it's being put in front of you. Now, I think those mm. action scenes, to me, some of them are, are funny. They're, you know, in that one scene I just talked about, you know, there's, there's a oh, section yeah, where yeah. you feel like you're on top and then um, you you hit Zabaletto so hard he falls over it, but his leg comes up and, and catches you in, you know, the man pieces. And yeah. um, a comedy tune plays out of nowhere and you kind of stumble back to your seat and sit down for, you know, a best part of 20 seconds as, you know, he recoups himself. Sean, like, I can almost feel you just going, oh my God, like, seriously. <laughs> and are, I, are I tend, <laughs> yeah, I would, I would normally agree I'm not a guy for slapstick humour at all, but there was something about those characters that kind of, Maybe because I was playing them and got to like them, I don't know that it that mm-hmm. stuff genuinely made me laugh. And I and I think, I mean, that's the key here is for all the the issues of this game, there is two or three instances where I was just smirking and smiling to myself because mm. it's not it's not like you come across a game like this very often, um, yeah. probably for good reason. But you know, whilst whilst you're in it, it's 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 kind of funny. Yeah, so, something that also bugged me about the side quest is that you, you, you kick them off by um, engaging these characters in one-on-one dialogues. Right. And it, and it turns into this kind of split screen thing where David's on the left, they're on the right. And it was weird. Like his dialogue in those sequences sounded like they were recorded at a, in like a different time during development. Like his dialogue mm. during rest of the game was very like, I don't think the voice acting was that great, but it was at least a little more, mm naturalistic i think or natural is the real word there um but in like those one-on-one conversations it always sounded to me like he was screaming for some reason like Hmm. like his 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 cadence was a little like higher and Mm -hmm. more aggressive at them like it just it was another thing that didn't make sense to me so i just tried to engage that as as least as I could. I think the, the accents throughout the game kind of come and go as well. Yeah. yeah. There's also the fortune cooking cookie quest, which is there's a hundred fortune cookies to break and they've all got little mottos about really? life and meaning. Um, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, it's, it's, it is filler for the sake of filler, um, which is pretty unfortunate. Mm-hmm. hundred of them. Yeah. I did wonder about that. Cause you, you sit down with the coffee mug and the uh, and the fortune cookies and it's three out of three for each and you can do each one three times before oh, you stand right, up yeah. and reset mm-hmm. into the room um i actually wasn't aware for whatever reason that you could voluntarily dive back out of the plane scene to the apartment um just because for whatever reason they don't I, make I it obvious to be fair didn't have the opportunity mm-hmm. to uh, i did at one point try to get back to the lavatory to see if i could go into it um 
when I was doing one of the kind of you searches for you press start and there'll be dive back to the apartment button in yeah. the, in the main screen in the, in the menu no but no actually it's right on the, the front and center of the screen it's you can't really well you can't I guess you can miss it because you didn't you didn't see it but it's well but it just I mean it's it's in a menu rather than somewhere in the world right. that yeah, seems weird to actual, me given yeah. you can go up to a cat and get to a store yeah and also in actually the world, in the apartment that, you interact with that by walking up to you know the bathroom mirror. The mirror so yeah, yeah, there, yeah there's yeah. precedence for doing it one way and precedence for doing it that, a different yeah, way that, okay I, I I completely relieve myself of any blame for not noticing that. It's also why would it be in a menu? It's got one of the best graphical touches of the entire game, which is it. I, should, I guess Ryan would have seen this as well. It, it desaturates all the color from the scene that you're playing, so it's it's yeah, yeah. it's like you're yeah you're diving out it's of like it. It's so f- the fading yeah, yeah so it's yeah. well it's like it's reverting back to whatever past he's, he's coming to so it's literally the scene breaks of color and then all the structure of the scene starts to crumble and disappear uh, away from yourself it's a, it's a really cool oh, technique that um you know you should just dive back one well, it's like everything goes white except for these cell shaded like outlines of the characters mm-hmm. kind of like you would see on a borderlands character or something it's yeah it's a kind of a neat little technique for the transitions there anyways let's uh let's talk a little bit about that ending um, obviously this was, um, supposed to be more than just two episodes, but, uh, you know, Microsoft pulled the funding on this one, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, we were left with a to be continue, um, and a cliffhanger kind of, although it just really kind of throws something that came out of nowhere a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I don't necessarily feel like, oh, I need to see how that resolves because, at this point, they're still kind of just throwing so many different things at the wall. It's like it literally anything could happen. Like I'm not, <laughs> I don't know enough about the mystery to be fully invested in it yet, but I'm at least invested enough in the experience to at least want to see more of that, if not solve yeah, the mystery. Everything's at least been grounded into a reality to the point, but you know, lightning mech man that was previous human character is somewhat yeah. a change of pace right at the very end. On plane as well, in the undercarriage. It's... Yeah. Okay. And also seeing uh, little Peggy's father again, who, mm-hmm. I guess due to the uh, the shock of his daughter falling in the ice, although it seems like she's all right, maybe, unless like she was a hallucination the entire time as well, who knows. But just that shock <laughs> turned his hair all white and gave him like weird demon voice, uh, which sets him up to be like to make him look like a very evil, like stereotypically mm-hmm. evil Castlevania character or something. And so it's, uh, it would be a little too easy if he were just like the bad guy we were looking for the whole time. And mm-hmm. that's why I got into in the beginning when I was talking about the D series, like those are about Dracula. Maybe this is about Dracula as well type mm-hmm. thing. But, uh, yeah, it's just they, a, they would have term. some ground to cover before they could make that feel anything, but <laughs> shoehorned in though, wouldn't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you've got real blood. Yeah, okay. Philip turns out to be this weird sort of demon terminator monster thing. But suddenly just shoehorning in that um little Peggy's foster father who looks pretty young in that end scene. If that's mm-hmm. supposed to be kind of modern mm-hmm. day to the apartment scenes, he looks pretty young to say that yeah, he's got white hair. He he doesn't look old enough to be David's father, if you see what I mean. It, yeah. Like that would, in theory, have to be. So yeah, there's that's 
and, and also he was the guy standing on the side of the the lake at the beginning, right? Yep. Why did he let his daughter walk out onto a frozen lake to see the owl car? And yeah, yeah, we've got the whole what the heck's that owl thing because that owl yeah. owl appears in the undercarriage of the plane. Yeah, that's another uh, Twin Peaks carryover, I think. Yeah, it possibly. It just seemed bizarre. Obviously, the owl, mm. like uh, Roland, is it um, is is representative of something else. It's not mm-hmm, actually yeah, an yeah. owl. It's not. You know, it, it doesn't help same... either that we mm. we don't know. Obviously, we don't know how this would have continued, um, mm-hmm. but we don't know if this was like one of a trilogy. If, if how how big of an arc mm-hmm. this? Because I feel like yeah. even if there's another two segments, I mean, they, they call this as you know season one, and it has a prologue, um, episode one and episode two. Um, so even if there was a, another, you know, episode three, four, and even maybe five, I don't, I don't feel like I've learned enough from those first no. two in the arc. Like it doesn't feel like it was, it's, it was particularly going anywhere yeah. at all, yeah. anyway. Um, and so it feels like, oh, maybe in his head he's got this down as a trilogy. Well, okay, well that's that's maybe more fine. But then a part of me that says, you know, how arrogant do you need to be that you know nothing's a given. You know, nothing. I mean, yeah. This, this is. I, I've, I've read some stuff with with Swerian. He seems like um, like a really, you know, genuine kind of. I just want to make games guy, and, and I, I understand that. But I always, you know, in this industry, nothing is a given that you're going to get mm-hmm. a second chance. And I, and I, yeah. And I, I know that you know there's a fan kind of want for more of this. Um, but yeah, Microsoft put up money for this. It didn't do well. Mm-hmm. His attitude seems to be very much like, well, I got, you know, I got shafted here. And I'm I'm just kind of saying, well, where did you get shafted? It's like the game didn't do yeah. well. Microsoft aren't just going to give you more money to make a game that didn't do right, yeah. well yeah. just for you to continue the, the story. Place. They, I mean, they've let him go off to then continue it on the PC. Like they've said, okay, well, you know, you may mm. release a PC version. We're not going to publish it. It's under your own terms. And mm. presumably they've also said, you can continue this story if it's a success there. So I feel like, you know, he, he's not lost out of this. He's just, the game's not been popular. And I think from Sean's point of view, he would argue, well, I understand probably why that's not been popular. From my point yeah, of view, I, mean. I think <laughs> it's it's funny and the cliffhanger story at the end just adds that extra layer of like, oh, are you kidding? Like, <laughs> there is absolutely no resolution to any of this no. whatsoever yeah and it's it leaves me frustrated it leaves me frustrated as well as kind of like well if there's ever going to be a game that deserved that kind of ending which makes absolutely no sense it was probably d4 in the first place mm-hmm. yeah i mean there is a reason that the first star wars the first matrix film the first harry potter book and subsequent film mm-hmm. um, and even the first mass effect uh, game and you know they stand alone. If they never got a sequel, yeah, they would still right. work and they would yeah. present, especially in the case of the Harry Potter book, they would present a microcosm of what that entire series actually ended up being. The first mm. film is actually the entire seven, or the first book rather, is actually the entire seven book series condensed into one. Um, but with a scope and with enough interest mm-hmm. there to carry on the story. Um, and I think there's something interesting to saying, no, I'm, I'm not going to present a complete arc yeah uh, in, in this in first one. one but yeah th- this this 
begged to have more put onto the end yeah. of it, which in turn means it has to be successful enough. And for something like this, especially if Microsoft aren't going to necessarily uh, back you with a load of advertising and make it a, su- a success or guarantee you the funding for the rest, yeah, um, it's yeah, don't, it's don't difficult. get me wrong as well that we haven't talked about the blinking um, microtransactions in this game, of which there are just hundreds of. It's 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 terrible. It's they're all superfluous stuff. So they're all you yeah. know advertising stuff or different jackets and this. But even on the um, you know you you could argue okay well that was Microsoft you know in their their misstep of pushing microtransactions for new projects etc which they mm. did on Forza but then yeah. they've re- they've released the the uh, the PC's you know, Steam version all the same stuff's in there all the same microtransactions mm. are still in there so it's, it's his own free will that he wants to kind of yeah. you know yeah. add this extra stuff and it's the costumes are, are completely superfluous. They're, they're daft anyway to start off with. So why you'd yeah. want to spend two pounds on a an outfit to make Amanda into a cowboy is is beyond me. But okay, if you do, you well, want, especially it, g- given the amount of time you actually spend with any one character right, exactly, in terms yeah. of seeing them, very limited. Yes. Really, it's only a four yeah. hour game. Okay, you can spend twenty hours with it, but the amount of time you're going to be spending. Yeah. seeing Amanda mm-hmm. doing anything is still going to be proportionally mm-hmm. quite low. There is free beard packs that you can buy, um, or in the case, they're, <laughs> they're free on the, the Xbox One version, and um, fair play, because there's an Abraham Lincoln beard in there, but in all honesty, it looks like someone just took like facial hair that had been cut off and threw it at the, the model with a bit of glue stuck onto it, because it fits so badly, <laughs> it clips horrendously. And you walk around, <laughs> wow. and it's it's to me like at that point you he knows what he's doing. Like the carrot, you can dress him up as a you know a, a hillbilly with this ridiculous beard, solving cases. Um, and I even think one of the characters makes a comment about you know isn't about time you shaved. It's it's odd and bizarre, but mm-hmm. I you know I don't I don't particularly like that kind of like well nickel and dime you for all this extra stuff. Yeah, it's just no, like layers no, upon layers of of weird kind of episodic idea of a content that just you know unfortunately in this case hasn't paid off and i i honestly thought at the time i thought it was a microsoft thing but um you know now it's in the steam version i assume it's it's a way to kind of like generate some extra cash for the uh the next release but even on that i like time time scale wise i would have you know telltale stuff you know or you know life is strange etc you can see they've, they've kind of got that that art that plan period like okay this is always going to come out you're just going to yeah. have to wait you know a number of, of months um for it to hit mm. where you know what was the plan was this game to be developed it come out see if it it was assessed and we waited a year for the next three episodes <laughs> yeah. you know were they ready to go like yeah. straight away and, and then it, it didn't make money or have they got stuff that was half started and they didn't have the funds to to finish it off? Like I'd love to know what well, the idea of the story. Well, he wanted to make this game, and so you know it's probably easier to pitch. We're going to make an episodic thing. You're signing on for one episode right now, and if it doesn't work, then you can just pull the plug. God, it's like Kickstarter. Rather than to say like you know fund an entire game development cycle, yeah. and it, I, I see lots of scenarios in which that would work out, but unfortunately in this case it it didn't. But uh, you know, we're kind of seeing with uh, like Kentucky Route Zero has been in development for like two or three years at this point, and we just got episode four out of five. And so, you know, this this kind of thing, there's been um, ups and downs to the episodic model, but sometimes, you know, I can see certain situations in which that's the only one that you can get funding for. It just seems a little weird that it's like it, at the time of release, like it was a Microsoft 
console exclusive, like no PC announcement at that time. I don't think, right? Yeah, like, there well, wasn't. So was uh, Deadly Premonition was on yeah, Xbox 360, 360 only until it was eventually ported over to the PS3 mm-hmm. and then the PC mm-hmm. much much later. Yeah, it's just it just seems like a weird thing to just for like an exclusive for Microsoft to put their money behind only one episode. Yeah. And you know, and and honestly, like if I was Microsoft, if I was Phil Spencer at that time, and I saw personally this is my opinion but if i saw that output um i wouldn't have backed the second or second season either like it's just i think he blew it honestly and the development of of season one like i the second the second episode i know this might sound reductive but it's just you walking down the cabin of a plane like yeah that's all it is like if i gave someone you know however much thousands or millions of dollars like and that's what they come up with i just Man, I don't know. It would have yeah, been really to, to say that the um, the episode one is is investigative, investigative. Can't even say the word investigative, <laughs> yeah. and uh, explorative. Episode two isn't. I mean, yeah, no. sure, you're still having to walk up to bags. You're still having to walk up to, but it took a little bit of thinking in terms of right, where haven't I been? Where can I go to find mm-hmm. the clues that I'm missing in episode one? In episode mm-hmm. two, you tripped over them. Yeah. Um, yeah, and as you say, yeah, you were just walking forward, and it meant they could put more kind of um, set pieces into it, uh, and they could tell the yeah. story more linearly, which probably helped the storytelling. Not not that the story necessarily made any more sense, but it, you know, I know what you mean. Meant, yeah, yeah. Helps uh, it flowed a little a bit yeah. better. But um, it's very strange that oh, mm-hmm. we're getting a new environment. No, it's just a dark metal. Hallway, <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's quite strange. There's a sliding tile puzzle in it, like <laughs> the ultimate. I give up in game design. Like just move this thing around. Like that. Yeah. yeah, bummer. Anyways, let's go over to our community and see what they have to say about uh, this strange little Xbox One oddity. Uh, Matten's way from our forum says, as a fan of Swery's Deadly Premonition, I was very excited to play D4. Actually, its exclusivity was the main reason for me to get an Xbox One, and although the gameplay was very different from Deadly Premonition, I wasn't disappointed at all when I got my hands on it. Maybe because Swery's games are more about storytelling and characters than the actual gameplay. David Young's sad story was told in a beautiful and appealing way, which made it quick and easier for me to get invested in the character. Although I didn't like Young as much as York in Deadly Premonition, I did like the other characters, especially Deborah Anderson and Rowan Walken. The QTEs were surprisingly fun to play, hilarious, and fitted well into the bizarre story, and were a perfect contrast to the slow-paced point-and-click sections of the game. Another thing that stands out about this game is the amazing soundtrack. The intro theme is in many of my iTunes playlists. When I bought the game, I didn't know that it wasn't finished, so I was quite disappointed when I finished episode 2 and got thrown back to the prologue again, because the game was amazing so far. I'm pretty sure that it must have sold terribly, and I guess the reason why might be quite simple. The game's style is very Japanese and might not be appealing enough to a larger Western audience. That wouldn't be such a big deal if the game hadn't been exclusive to the Xbox One, which sold disastrously in Japan. I guess everyone at Access Games knew that it would be hard to sell this game, but I can imagine that they needed Microsoft's money to develop this game. So let's hope the PC version sells better and Swery will continue the story. And uh, he actually brings up a good point that, you know, the exclusivity uh, being the main reason for him to want to get the Xbox One in the first place. You know, we talk about why did they fund this game? Um, you know, why didn't they pick it up for more episodes? Mm. And really, like, 
it served its purpose. And mm-hmm. I think the whole reason that this game was made was so that they could show that they had a sweary game during their E3 reveal. Yeah. Mm. Like that was, I think, its strongest impact culturally to be able to say like, you know, the Xbox One uh, has fairly or unfairly a bit of a reputation for being kind of a dude bro system. Yeah. And it's all just, uh, you know, American football and first person shooters and, you know, big beefy military men and everything. And mm-hmm. so to throw something genuinely auteur up on yeah. screen during their presentation was, um, I, I would say kind of a move in the right direction totally. and expressed like a certain level of intent that, uh, you know, whether or not they followed through on it during this generation is up for debate as well. But, um, you know, it, it was, uh, it was striking to see that and it more than anything else they showed made me consider getting an Xbox one. Mm-hmm. And yeah. let's face it mm-hmm. when you're in the, the room and you're the, you know, the producer and you're looking at this stuff saying, okay, we're throwing money here. If anybody was in the room with deadly permission, they would have also been throwing the money out going, I don't know guys. I, yeah. I really don't know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it comes out and is this, you know, cool cult hit. Cult so hurt, I think, yeah. you know, from from you know the person putting up the money's point of view, they were like, well, let's just leave him to it. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you could just mm-hmm. see it. And it came out, they went, fingers crossed. And, you know, unfortunately <laughs> this time it, it wasn't the cult hit. And, you know, they took the hit because of that and they move on with their life. And, yeah, you know, the way, the way the industry goes. But Deadly Premonition is, was in the same boat, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, the reviewist says... Being of the persuasion that came down on the negative side in relation to Deadly Premonition, I have no undue affection for the work of Swery. I found Deadly Premonition a slow, plotting mess with shonky controls, ugly dialogue, in the sense that whoever made it had a childlike fascination with Twin Peaks and Western cop drama culture, without any real understanding of how they worked. I mention this only because it meant that a few moments into D4, when the game began, and I was still wrestling with the aesthetic as well as the slightly odd controls, I gave an audible groan at seeing Swery's name in the credits. But I decided to give it a fair shake. Lo and behold, it was the story of a semi-psychic detective based loosely on a childlike idea of Western cop drama. Yes, I wish I was kidding, but I go on. I'd like to point out that I actually enjoyed D4 far more than Deadly Premonition, mainly due to the lack of hours of driving segments involved. (laughs) However, it's almost as if the game was trying to undo every good step it took with a series of bad ones. After the initial intriguing Icy Lake opening, introducing me to David Young, his wife, and his condition, then in step the comedy ex-partner, the anthropomorphic and depressingly sexualized house cat girl, and an inordinate amount of clicking about the apartment. This combined with the trademark sweary cliché dialogue had me literally banging my head off of my sofa's armrest as I played something no other game has ever brought me to do. This pattern continued. I liked the concept of his appearance on the plane, and the smattering of ideas around whether he's mad or could really slip into time and potentially change things, although the game hinted that it's a closed-loop timeline story. Yet in the midst of such moments, it tossed in painfully dull fetch quests and characters that drove me fully to distraction. From the barmy passenger obsessed with the window squeaks to the towering inhaler-chuggling cabin crew colossus, each of which made me want to strangle the scriptwriters, animators, and Swery himself for subjecting me to this, only to then batter me over the head with Young realizing his disjointed time travel a full ten minutes after I had already worked it out. Stranger still, after the Herculean effort of attrition it took me to get through episode one, episode two seemed oddly half-baked. Adding insult to injury, as the story powered through 
a far faster and more enjoyable stint, only to end with a nonsensical cliffhanger, with a villain straight out of a 90s cartoon appearing at the end. I felt doubly cheated, as after suffering through the first episode, having finally began to have some measure of fun, it simply stopped. I will admit, it's not a game for me. Some people will love this sort of daft borderline parody nonsense, with the added flavor of it being Western culture viewed brokenly through the quirky Eastern lens. I'm not one of those people, but I can admire the tenacity with which it flings itself fully into the cause. The weird characters, odd dialogue, and frankly cumbersome controls were what some might ascribe to charm. For me, that wasn't fun. It was soul-destroying, as were the strange engine choices, such as the dialogue trees that would give you an accuracy percentage if you guessed which of Young's nonsensical replies was correct during a flashback. It's a shame the game stopped on episode two, but frankly, I couldn't possibly recommend this to anyone ever. Please, no more. <laughs> yeah, so we've got kind of a wide range even among two reviews there. <laughs> <laughs> the, the score that pops up based on your chosen dialogue reply just baffled me. It's like, well, why didn't yeah. I didn't get 100%? Okay, can I go back and do better? <laughs> just, nope. Just no, because you scored at the end of the episode, that's all it is. It's just to perfect your, yeah. your run through. It, didn't, it doesn't they matter. just show that at the end of the episode. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why I need to know when I've made my response. And it's weird that there were different percentages that it could give you as well. Mm-hmm. Like, it should be like 100% he would have said this or 0% yeah. he wouldn't. But it's like 40% like... Maybe yeah, he, he might have said this. <laughs> and 20% he really wouldn't have said this ever. So, yeah, yeah who knows? <laughs> uh, we have three word reviews today. <laughs> A uh, very, very small offering there. First of which comes from Catatonic Nolly, who says absolute chuffing nonsense. Zach Singer says odd but memorable. And Nicholas Nuck, deliberate delusional daydream. Okay, um, that just leaves our summaries. Sean, uh, what mm. is your overall opinion of Dark Dreams Don't Die? When we first started Kane and Rinse years ago, I made it a point to remove the word hate from my vocabulary. So I'm not going to say that I hate D4, Dark Dreams Don't Die. But I will say that I very actively dislike it. (laughs) In my opinion, the only thing that I found redeeming in this game was the credit sequence in the beginning, which I don't remember if we even mentioned, but how each episode starts with this really goofy, like late 80s, early 90s, (laughs) like American, like drama, or, you know, cop drama intro with the blaring saxophones and... And cute little, like, you know, title cards and everything like that. And that part was fun. But unfortunately, like everything else in the game, like, there's no reason that it exists. Like, there's no point. Like, it's the, the actual game itself and the story doesn't really reflect late 80s, early 90s American late night drama. Like, it's just, it doesn't, it's just kind of, like, fun to see. Um and like for me, like not not nothing about the game makes any sense. And this might be due, of course, as I said earlier, to it not being finished, you know. And that's fair or unfair, I don't know. Um, but as it stands right now, like I can I can't recommend people try it. Like it doesn't look like it's going to be finished. So we have a completely incomplete game, <laughs> like. A completely incomplete story or an entirely incomplete story like i don't know there's i don't see any reason other than like you know i don't know like with tony i don't know maybe it'll it'll 
resonate with you in in a in a comedic sense but for me like nothing about it hit and at the same time like i'm still interested to see if sweary comes back to games i'll follow his work wherever he goes even though like twice now i've i've not really connected but i i still do appreciate his ambition and his unique vision even if i don't enjoy actually playing them (laughs) yeah fair enough how about you, James? Uh, so th- this is my my first sweary, as it were. It's a completely baffling oddity of a game, um, right from the off, with its jazz piano and sax music, which is just so at odds with the the tone of scenes that it plays over the top of uh, at times. Um, where I'm sitting there thinking, I'd rather there was no music at this point because it just in my gut felt wrong for the music to be playing when it was. Um, the clunky controls and movement, no matter which method you use, I haven't tried keyboard and mouse. I, I'm sure it's easier in some ways uh, for kind of the pixel hunt, you mm-hmm. know, click on X, Y, or Z in the, in the environment. But moving around, it, it feels very odd to have to click on. Maybe we're going to have to get used to it with VR, to have to click on an icon to move forward like that. I mean, it's Google Maps you know, um, yeah. street view type stuff. Uh, yeah, no, not, not, hopefully not. Um, which it, it's just kind of, you just have to put up with it. That's the game. Um, but I can't, I cannot deny that there is a bizarre fun and allure to the just menagerie of caricatures um, and the weird, askew, surreal narrative that's that's going on. Yeah, the the cliffhanger at the end. I I wasn't so much thinking, oh, can't wait to see what happens next. As I kind of want to know where they're going with this. It's not like the narrative thread that was left. I think there is some fantastic payoff to come down the road. It's just they have thrown so much at the screen in what is four hours of game yeah. time to just play through the story. I I just want to know where they were going with this, where he was going with this. Um, so whether it's game, whether it's graphic novel or, you know, something like that, (laughs) just, um, if the engine's there and you can get the art made, maybe don't make it a game, just make it a (laughs) 30, 60 minute short film or something. I would watch that just to see what the heck was going on. Cause at this point, you know, some four, three, three hours after I finished playing it, I, I still, uh, after a wonderful discussion, have no idea what's going on in, <laughs> in this game. I, I, I just don't. And and that's equal parts refreshing and frustrating, but I'll, I'll live with some frustration uh, for, for the sake of the game. Yeah. I'm not sure if that's a recommendation or not. <laughs> All right. Some mixed feelings there. Um, as for myself, I, I had kind of an interesting journey with this one because I remember the first time that I played it, I did really like it. And it was kind of like, it was a unique enough experience that like I just really properly got into it. And I was uh, excited all the way through. I, um, you know, I I remember getting kind of like weary of the pace of it towards the end, Uh, you know, skipping through a lot of dialogue once I had read it on the uh, subtitles instead of letting it all play out um, and stuff like that. But I, I do remember stepping away with it with very positive opinions. And uh, I went back to replay it over the last week or two um, for the show on PC. I absolutely didn't hate it. I I did still retain a lot of positive feelings towards it, but I didn't 
enjoy it as much as I did the first time through. And I think that's because the main thing that I like from it is the uh, just kind of unpredictability of everything, which is something that I think Swery does really well. This could be argued that maybe it's because he's making it up as he goes, and so there isn't a lot of the typical kind of foreshadowing that you would uh, that would give you hints as to what's coming in most other fiction. Um, it kind of has flavors of it not being entirely intentional every step along the way. But also, like, you know, as a carryover from Deadly Premonition, like, that was, I think, a good murder mystery story in that at various points in the story, I had suspected just about every single person in the entire town of being the murderer. <laughs> and similarly, like, I don't necessarily suspect anyone on the plane because I don't have reason to assume that they are connected to whoever this D is, if D is even a person. It doesn't lay quite as strong of a foundation as far as the mystery goes, and so I find myself being less invested in finding D. I should just add uh, really quickly here, they do a really interesting thing as uh, Little Peggy's last words are, look for D, and uh, we find graffiti in the plane in the end of the second episode that says, look for D, like for the uh, number (laughs) four, um, which would... um, allude to the fourth dimension which is time which is kind of an interesting you know maybe she's referring to his ability to look for d look back in time and we aren't looking for somebody named d at all and so there's little seeds of things that i would be interested to follow up on but um yeah as for the mystery itself i'm not hugely engaged but i found the moment to moment gameplay to be unpredictable enough and i liked the imagery i liked the giant i liked so much about the game that like i i did genuinely enjoy my first time through and i had a pretty positive experience my second time through even though you know a lot of that kind of magic had worn off so i mean if you're into it's like really weird stuff uh and want something that's easily consumable something that is uh has a little bit of that strange unpredictable david lynch nature to it something that's a little a bit of an enigma then play kentucky route zero but also this one's pretty good so yeah you know give it a go um it only takes four hours and you can find it pretty cheap these days so i i would give it a um fairly hearty recommendation (laughs) so to speak and what about you tony Absolute chaffing nonsense, to, to quote uh, Catasonic Gnarly there for a second. And <laughs> I was actually having this this debate actually with the reviewers who, who wrote in there and, and gave his, you know, kind of scathing review of the of uh, D4. And, you know, we were talking on, on Twitter um, about the reasons I liked it versus the reasons he disliked it. And it was literally the, the things he hated about it were the things I liked about it, both the humour, um, you know, the, the characters, the nonsensicalness of it, the, the way the story is. Um, and it just goes to prove, like, if not every game is for every person. Yeah, that's hardly uh, a revelation, but it it, it, it is true. Um, and it, it's funny, I came to, to D4 off the back of playing um, Wolf Among Us, um, Game of Thrones, um, Life is Strange, point-and-click adventures of sorts that aren't dissimilar to the style of this game. And I actually felt quite bored of that kind of genre by the end of it. I was like, God oh, damn, another one of these games. And... <laughs> D4 was was far enough away from those experiences, has the same kind of architecture, but far enough away from those experiences, where it just felt, do you know what? This is lighthearted, this is daft, it's nonsensical. 
they don't kind of make these games anymore and stick them out as like front and center of these mm. major platforms. And that's probably the reason that I'm not going to say I fell in love with it, but I had a and a deeper appreciation to it than maybe um, you know other people might have done. Um, I think the you know it is nonsensical. the uh, The gameplay of it is is bad. Um, there's no getting over that. But I think there is elements in there of all the characters which I liked. Um, some of them a bit too overt, but some of them are actually genuinely intriguing. I'd I'd like to have seen where this story. Um, would go in the future and who knows the the pc version may be the right crowd it may break out of that kind of i don't want to say console owners and and narrowed into a kind of subsection but you know the pc owners are generally a bit more forgiving of um, aspects of games Um, and hopefully you know it finds a place there and swiri gets to make more of this um but like sean i can't do you know i'll be okay if he doesn't and he moves on to his next, pro- next project. And I think mm-hmm. he needs to kind of let go that, you know, he's had two projects now, both which have not been commercial successes, but, you know, have cl- kind of got a, uh, a, a somewhat of a cl- an acclaim, a critical kind of um, interest in them. And he needs to actually find something that balances out that kind of, well, like Kojima, you know, find something where you can have equally, da- you know, completely daft parts, but also, you know, mm. fundamentally the gameplay is intriguing yeah. enough to, to bring people back into that experience. So I don't wholeheartedly recommend D4 for everybody. You're really going to know after the first half hour whether it is a game that's going to tickle you. But for me, um, it made me laugh, it made me smile. Um, and, you know, at a time when, you know, I was playing some more serious stuff that just wasn't really hitting with me. So, not great, but fun, and um, yeah, I I I you know appreciate it for that. You know, on your point there, this does kind of feel like the type of game that would have existed in the like FMV 3DO era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the weird yeah. kind of thing that this is a lot better than a lot of those games that came <laughs> out too. So sure. maybe it just uh, wrong place, wrong time. But regardless, that is a uh, case closed on that one. Um, I'd like to uh, thank James, Sean, and Tony for joining me today. And in the next issue, number 241, we are reverting back to our PlayStations for Tony Hawk's Pro Skater and that whole series. All right, we'll see you next time. Bye.